Hello and welcome to Coast to Coast FC, the new Canadian soccer podcast focused on all things CPO, Canadian Championship and more. My name is Felipe Ajejo. And I'm Mike Rice. And today we're going to dive into match week number 11 of the Canadian Premier League and go into some of the facts and stats and moments about each game in what is one of the weirdest midweek matches, matchups rather, that we've seen this season so far. But at the very end, we'll pick our player of the week for this week's match day and talk a little bit about why we chose them. Make sure to follow us on our Twitter and Instagram at Coast to Coast FC and on Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts, and more so you know exactly when we upload. But without further ado, let's go straight into our first game, which is Vancouver against Forge. And we have a special guest to discuss this game with us, CPL's own Benedict Rhodes. How you doing, Benedict? Hey, Robert. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me on the show. No, it's great to have another voice on, especially for a big game like this. I feel like a lot of people want to analyze this game just because of the magnitude of the result and the, sh- the shock of the result. So we're going to go uh, straight into uh, the game itself. Vancouver won uh, the game uh, 2-0 goals through from uh, TJ Tahid in the 35th minute and Amir Kinani in the 39th minute. Quick turnaround there. For you, Mike, I mean, I mean, for me, I was at the game, so it was a bit different. I think the atmosphere being there, it was sort of a bit not necessarily muted. It's a midweek game. It was a Tuesday game. I think people were going into it sort of expecting not the worst, but I'm sure not many people were expecting the result that they got. For you, when you watched the game, did you see, especially in the way that it started, the result going in the way of Vancouver, or did you think Forge were going to take the game by the reins and and get a result? Yeah, we mentioned uh, on the weekend, didn't we, how Forge have been hit this slump, and it would be nice for them to come up against Vancouver, who are having a lot of troubles themselves, and they've peppered the goal once again, which we're sure we'll go into. Um, and yeah, to come away with this win was really, really surprising, and. Uh, it was yeah, it was straight like you say, like watching along. Uh, wasn't there? Uh, obviously watching along, quite an empty stadium, quite chill. Like didn't look like the setting. Uh, maybe Vancouver would have liked for their first home win and against the Giants. Forge was. Um, I mean, it was an incredible achievement. Um, but yeah, it was it was bizarre to see this continue. Uh, Benedict, for you as well. I'm just curious, what were you thinking when this game kicked off? Yeah, before the game, I agree with you. I thought, you know, this is a chance for Forge, you know, playing against the, the team last in the league, a team who's conceded a lot of goals this season. I'd be a chance for them to to kind of break that slump that they're in. But you know, they started the game well, of course, as well. They hit the post, I think, twice in the first 30 minutes of the game. They they nearly scored again on, on a free kick from Kyle Becker. And, uh, you know, like you guys said, I think it was the start of this game was all Forge. And I think that's probably how we expected it to, to end as well. But for them, it was, unfortunately, it wasn't the case. Yeah, I mean, immediately I I was with uh, Michael McCall from AFTN and I sat down with him and I said, if Vancouver can weather the storm of the first 20 minutes of Forge, they can actually be in a good position to get a result out of this. And it almost didn't turn out that way. Like you said, Benedict, they hit the hit post like three times. Mm-hmm. And what a performance from Cal Irving in those opening 20 minutes. Even, you know, before the Ottawa game, because he had a fantastic game against Ottawa, people were saying that... He was struggling a bit in the team. He was losing a bit of uh, maybe his ability that he's shown before at Pacific. But in these last two match days, he's shown exactly how much quality he has between the sticks. And it's funny because last week I went on a whole rant on Vancouver <laughs> FC talking about how they needed experience, how they needed leadership, how Callum Irvin can't do it all by himself. Apparently he can. And maybe I was wrong. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, after the initial 20 minutes, it felt like Vancouver had an opportunity, had a chance. And for me, I saw almost like a mental shift in Forge where even as soon as 30 minutes into the game, they started to get a bit desperate. It, it almost felt like they were like, oh, no, here we go again. We're getting opportunities. We're not scoring the nerves of conceding because it's happened time and time before. And I think because they were nervous about it, they panicked a bit more. And then two, how do I put this nicely? Two (laughs) unforgivable mistakes, really, uh, in the defense, especially in the second one. 
Mike, is there any way to uh, put a defense for Forge's defensive line there? Or was it just a nightmare <laughs> at the back from them? That uh yeah, the second goal was uh, was a horrific moment <laughs> for Kane, wasn't it? Uh, later, I, I was watching it back, and you see that see the replays, and he makes the pass and looks away and looks upfield, and he's still walking upfield, expecting like his defense to have the ball and to see an attack, and he turns around, and all of a sudden, Kanani's putting the ball away, and he can't believe it. It was such a bizarre moment. Um, I will give uh TJ Heed some credit though for his goal. Um, I thought yeah, the slip gave him the opportunity to tuck it away on uh, without pressure but his movement in there um to get on the back of the defender to make that run at the right time around him i think even if there wasn't a slip he would have got there and um and would have finished that it was really really clever movement from him working off um some good work down the down the wing from the, the vancouver team yeah i mean tj is somebody who's been super super impressive for me as someone who has been able to watch him every time that he's playing at home and watching the screen when he features away for you, Benedict, how important do you think TJ is? I mean, it's incredible that we're saying this for a 16 year old, but it feels like already he's turning into the star boy for this Vancouver side. And through him, we're starting to see positives after a very rough start from Vancouver. Yeah. You know, that's fair to say. I think, you know, Afshin Gopi called him you know, one of the best 16 year olds in North America. And I think that that's probably a fair statement as well. Um, he's a player who plays with with fearlessness. He's not afraid to to do things on the ball. He's not afraid to run at, you know, some very very experienced defenders on the likes of Forge or, or other teams. And uh, I think you know that that ability to, to just to just go out and do his job is something that's going to serve him very well in this season and, and throughout his career. Yeah, yeah. Like like you said, he has the mentality of a twenty five year old at sixteen, and it definitely looks at it as he plays on the pitch obviously there are a few moments where he has a couple lapses of judgment which you can understand because once again he's 16 years old but the fact that he can still keep up with the big boys and and almost play in such a manner where you forget he's 16 up until the moment where somebody announces it or he scores a goal and you're like wait a minute he's 16 and he already has two goals in the cpl it's it's insane yeah he's a gem that i would be surprised to see if he makes it more than a season in vancouver before he snapped up somewhere else but for now we'll enjoy him looking into the second half though mike for you bobby did an interesting choice in putting his new favorite striker even though he has three of the best strikers in the cpl you would reckon he decides Nope, I don't want any of them. I want Manjakar James up top as that big number nine. Uh, <laughs> what did you make of that s- tactical decision? And did you think that it actually worked out for them a bit? Did it help a bit? Or was it just a, a lost cause in the end? <laughs> it just keeps happening, doesn't it? Like plan A hasn't worked. Plan B is not going to plan. So let's just get Manjakar James up front. needs a big guy who can win the ball. He can, he's bringing it down well. Like, And he is showing some of these strikers how to receive it as a as a central forward but he's not he's a better defender so it's a bizarre it's a bizarre scenario that's going on um with forge because they can't seem to get things working and i think bobby's now getting to the point where okay this isn't working i'm just gonna have to resort to this and he's but he's still he still needs to come up with a better plan this can't be right i'm chasing a game just get him forward the forge have the depth they have the quality that they need they can do something else other than just rely on Manjakar James to be their best defender and best striker in both games in 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 a single game yeah and i mean for you benedict we were both in the post game call and we saw how bobby was a bit defensive of his call there it seemed like he he cut a very frustrated figure in your eyes what is what is going on really at Forge? Now we saw in the second half they played a bit better, but Vancouver played better as well. It was sort of a stalemate. There wasn't too many opportunities there, and it almost felt like Forge came out a bit defeated even in the second half because we didn't see the same sort of passages of play that we're used to, the same sort of dominance that were that they were used to. Is it for you now? It's just a mental block that even Bobby can't figure out right now? Or is it maybe something even deeper than that for you? Yeah, I think I think mentally it'll be tough at the moment. You know, they're they're not used to going through a, this kind of a slump, right? Like, I think it's the first time in CBL history they've lost three games in a row. Uh, so that, that's uh, – from the they haven't really experienced much, I guess, during their first five years in the CPL. And 
And you know, like like Mike mentioned, they have they have you know for me, Taron Campbell, Rubens Passis, and Jordan Hamilton are like on paper three of the best five or ten strikers in the entire league. Uh, so to have to have those three guys available to you and and to still go to manage card James to me is maybe even a little bit of a statement to those guys. Like if you guys can't figure it out, you know, you guys maybe don't deserve to be up on the pitch at the moment. And let's see what manager card James can do. And I thought I thought he was he was all right as a striker, but you know when you have someone who's played for the national team as a center back as recently as a couple of years ago, you want him playing center back. Uh, so I think at the moment it's just a little bit of a a frustrating period for for Bobby and and Forge, but. Uh, you know, I don't, don't expect it to stick around for too much longer, but they do need to figure it out pretty quickly. Yeah, and it's funny that you that we're talking about putting Magic Card Jane's up at striker because for throughout the this uh podcast in the season, me and Mike have been calling on Afshin Gopi, being like, "What are you doing putting Bakari at center defensive mid when he's a center back, or even throwing it up front?" Apparently, you know, the great mighty Bobby might be taking some notes from Afshin and putting center bats at striker, maybe thinking that this guy's up to something. This guy has a good idea. Um, I mean, I think on both cases, we're we're still sort of yet to see it, the the fruits of that labor being realized. But for you, Mike, uh, a much more impressive display, definitely, from Vancouver. Moving forward, do you think that Vancouver can sort of build on these performances? Because let's be honest, you look at the team sheet and there's a bunch of names there that we didn't really recognize. We haven't seen all that much in the beginning of the season. Youngsters like James Cameron, Anthony White started his second straight game. Um, yeah, Tyler Crawford has been in and out a bit. For you, do you think that they can actually rely on these youngsters now that they've given this good performance and they can move on and and try to be get a bit of consistency? Yeah, I think the 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 exciting thing is the amount of young players that came into this team. I mean, players like Sean Hundle, Gail Sandoval, all um all out of the out of the team um for this one on the bench. I mean, Jai Quack on the bench, players who have played regularly. Um and started regularly and uh, now they've got like tj the heat like you said crawford white cameron henry on the wing they, they've got all these young players which yeah might it's not gonna it's not gonna get you a 2-0 win against the champion every week but it's gonna it's gonna remind people around the vancouver area like actually these guys have got quite a lot of potential here there's a transfer window coming as well maybe we get like th- th- this is all the start of something and we've got these building blocks for Okay, maybe not in the next two, three years with players like TJ Dahid, but some of these other players, yeah, they could still be here in two, three years' time and playing a really big part in this Vancouver team. With just a few extra additions, maybe this gets a little bit more exciting for fans to come in each week and maybe they can start progressing a bit more. I mean, this is a fantastic result and what a way to get your first win at home as a new club. But yeah, it's gotta you gotta just be a little bit careful not to get overexcited. But this should definitely um draw people into the stands. We should see hopefully see uh a few more faces, uh, a few more faces in there in the next few weeks. Yeah, you should have seen the the full time scenes. I don't know if they showed on the broadcast or not. Awesome, yeah. The way that the players were with the supporters <laughs> group and they were just singing and chanting to each yeah. other. It was fantastic to see. Just zooming Obviously, in on Ashton Gottby shouting, I think that's time. Ref, I think that's time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, he started whistling himself and being like yeah. that. And you could see how much it meant to them afterwards because they all hugged the players, the coaching staff, Ashton. Everybody was hugging. Everyone was so happy because of how much their first home win means it's a piece of not only is it a piece of history but it's points on the board it's a, a platform for them to build upon to actually gain some momentum because we're almost at the for uh, we're almost at the halfway point of the season and this is only their first home win but it's their first win and it's something it's something they can work on now but for forge and i'm curious about you benedict because this is this is something that we've talked about before with Mike, where it, it, Forge right now obviously are in this slump. This that can't really be debated. And for me, it feels like a lot of the players that usually step up for Forge in the last six or seven games haven't been stepping up. Players like David Chouinier, Tristan Borges, even players like Noah Jensen or Rezart Rama, who usually have good performances haven't been stepping up as much and it almost feels like it's starting to fall all on the shoulders of Kyle Becker. We've shown we've seen how Kyle Becker has saved Forge many times across the last few weeks, but it feels like, you know, he's he's getting up there now. I think he's 32 years of age. He can't take this whole team on his back consistently week in and week out. 
for you, do you feel like it's a case of players not showing up and sort of relying on the captain backer to save us all? And if so, what what can they do or what can Bobby do or the club do to try to lift this team to not even new heights, to the old heights, the heights that we saw before from Forge as three-time champions? Yeah, I'm not sure necessarily if it's uh, not showing up, but I think one thing that I've I've been kind of watching the last little while is, you know, the consistency in the starting lineup has been a bit of a problem. I think, you know, every week it seems there's a different player, especially in the attacking unit, where they're, they're not playing the same players two games in a row or three games in a row. And, and players, when you're in and out of the lineup like that, I think that's kind of chopping and changing. I, I don't think you're really allowing your team to to really, you know, put a run of form together. Like, look at the, the strikers, for example. You kind of have to ride the hot hand, I guess, when you're playing with, with strikers. And, for example, Jordan Hamilton, for a couple of times now, he scored and then not played the next game or not started the next game. And, you know, when you're when you're scoring and then playing 10 minutes off the bench the next week, I think that's the difficult maybe to, to get into a, a good good run and, and really start putting some strings and performances together and, and and building that consistency over a full season. Yeah, I'm wondering, I've got a question for both of you on that. Like, is this really, how Pacific are some games not particularly playing that greatly, but still coming away with a win? Is this piling even more pressure onto these Forge players as they're watching Pacific just get further and further away and still not playing great, but getting wins at times? And for Forge, it's like we're doing everything right for 60% of this game, but the ball's not going in. Yeah, I mean, for me, I think it's it's definitely you. These players are used to having pressure put on them, but from behind them, from the back, from people trying to claw their way up to them. This is a rare thing where now they're having pressure from the people in the front, where Pacific are starting to get away with them, and a lot of players, even experienced players, aren't really used to that. I mean, we haven't really seen that before in Forge, even though they don't always finish first in the regular season, they still are up there. They're still in that fight. But this one feel this this season feels like the first time where they're really the chasing pack, and you see even teams like Valor and Halifax, you know, they're starting to catch up a little bit, and and so the pressure's even more now. They're in the middle of the pack. They're in that dogfight that I don't think a lot of players are used to. And I mean, like Benedict said, I think it's also to do with uh, the, the 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 lack of consistency and the players. I mean, we've seen them switch formation again, the three four three that. Um, they played last week as well, and I think they're still adjusting to. So I think there's a lot of factors going on. I don't know about you, Benedict. What do you think? Yeah, he made a good point about them having the pressure from the the front instead of behind. I think that's a good point. Like, you know, for example, like Forge played this weekend against Atletico Ottawa. It doesn't get much easier for them. Um, meanwhile, Pacific aren't playing again until I think June 30th. I think they're about a week and a half off. So, you know, Pacific could be seven points clear of, of Forge or or ahead of York. Sorry, eight points clear of Forge with two games in hand as early as a couple of days from now. So I think that that's a huge pressure on Forge to go out this weekend and, and play against Ottawa at home and really make a statement and say, you know, we're not out of this yet. We need to, you know, put up a good performance against a good team and, and a final rematch as well, of course. There's always pressure for that uh, and, and really kind of come out and say, like, look, we're still the team that you think we are. Yeah, definitely. It's going to be a huge weekend for them because, you know, again, we're not at the halfway point. This isn't, you know, the final t- 10 run uh, games that usually decide the table but still once a team starts to get away with it starts to create that gap at the top then it becomes harder and harder for teams to catch up and so it'll be interesting to see because this is a forge team that has to show some some grit they have to kind of dig deep and and pull it out because yes they're getting unlucky yes they've hit the post so many times missed opportunities so many times but you still have to keep going. You still have to keep trucking on. And it'll be interesting to see if these players can can do that, if Bobby can continue to pull this out from these players because they're not used to this situation. And I don't know about you, Mike, but what did you think about the 3-4-3? Because we sort of said, okay, it didn't really work last time in the last game all that much, but maybe they'll grow into it. They'll try it again next game against Vancouver and maybe it'll be better. What were your thoughts on uh, 3-4-3 for Forge? Yeah, I think it's still a work in progress, isn't it? I mean, if you're bringing off Wubens Palacios at halftime for a defender, you know that he's getting frustrated with how things are working going forward. They, the, the mistakes were caused and they caused the goals. Um, sorry, but defensively, I don't think it's too big a problem, like changing this system. Um, individual errors were what were the downfall, not the, not the way they were playing, not the partnerships they were forming. 
but they're still not sure they're like it it just seems like however they're setting up their forward line and their midfield how they're playing in possession just it isn't clicking at the moment and it's well, it's lost its sort of rhythm yeah and i guess you know let we've been talking about this for a while so benedict i'll give you the final point before we move on and and you leave us here by come the end of the season right let's let's imagine that we're all the way in the last few games of the season do you think that for forge they're going to look back at this slump and see it as a case of, oh, this was just bad luck. We're not going to really focus on it. We've been playing well. We're going to stick to what we know. Or do you think this is going to be a bit of an eye-opening moment for Forge, a team that doesn't really like to switch up all that much? They have the same core that they've had for the last three, four, even five years, and they like to keep that. They don't like to do wholesale changes like other teams like Halifax. Do you think that this is going to be a turning point for them where like, okay, it's time to refresh. We've seen that we can't always be the forge that always win and always do well. We're going to see more of these slumps. For you, do you think it's time now for forge, whether it's in the midweek, the mid-year, uh, mid-season transfer window in the summer or at the end for them to kind of now start to see some turnover so they can have fresh legs, fresh minds or, or what do you think? I think there's two ways of looking at it. Of course, you know, one thing is consistency is, is good. You know, these players have won three titles in four seasons, some of them. So I do think uh, there are benefits to keeping the team together. But at the same time, you know, sometimes fresh faces aren't, aren't the worst thing either. I think, you know, you, you don't want to have wholesale changes, I don't think. And I'm, I'm not expecting them to have that. But I think, uh, you know, there might, depending on how the season ends, I guess you're going to maybe see a couple of changes. Some players might move on. Some players... Uh, might be available to them to come in, you know, you're never sure what the situation will look like, but, uh, you know, I think the rest of the season will, will might kind of dictate how, how much changes they're going to be at, at Forge going into next season. Yeah, that's true. I think if Forge continue to, to go poorly and, and to sink down, I don't think they will, but like, imagine, you know, dare I say they miss out on the playoffs or something like that, which would be unthinkable. <laughs> really, it's unimaginable given the last few seasons. But if something like that would happen, then yeah, I would expect a huge change. Not necessarily pressure on change for the coach. I think Bobby will be secured no matter what, unless they have a complete mayor of a season. Uh, but I do feel like it's almost about time for Forge to kind of have fresh faces in it and, and let some of those guardians kind of go those like super experienced players have been there since 2019 maybe it's time for them to move on and stuff like that but again we'll see by the end depending on how the season goes but uh thank you benedict so much for joining us for this match uh it's always great to have your voice in here to talk about it uh feel free if you want to give uh your socials uh and let the listeners know where they can find you yeah, you can follow me on Twitter. It's at BTFR17. And you can find all my uh, CPL stuff at campl.ca. Perfect. Thanks so much, Benedict. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for having me, guys. And now let's move on to our second game, which was York United against Halifax. This one was an exciting 2-2 draw with goals, two goals on either half of halftime. The first one by Mo Babuli in the 14th minute. Then Tiago Coimbra equalized in the 35th. In the second half, Kevin Dos Santos scored a screamer to put York ahead in the 56th minute, but Aiden Daniels capped off a terrific performance in the 86th to steal a point at the York's Lions Stadium. Now, for you, Mike, this is probably one of the most eventful games that we've seen, yes. uh, definitely this this midweek uh, match week. Uh, it almost felt like there were, it was not even a tale of two halves. It was like a tale of four quarters. Because yeah. every time that York were playing well and then they scored, it almost felt like it was until they scored that Halifax sort of responded. Mm. Before it was all York, then York scored, then Halifax responded, Halifax equalized, and then it kind of got into stalemate. Then second half, it kind of followed the same sort of thing. Yeah. For you, was this is this a better result for Halifax or is this a better result for... York. I mean, obviously, Halifax would take the point away from home, but at the end of the second half, it almost felt like Halifax had the chance to go and win it. Mm. How did you think about this match, especially in the opening moments, uh, as frantic as they were? Yeah, I think it's like same who's a better result for. I think for, I think Halifax really. I mean, York set out these the, the two halves trying to control the game, um, and and it looked it looked like it was going well and. 
now they get the lead uh, in the 14th they get take the lead back 10 like 11 minutes into the second half and they they've seemed to they seem to be setting themselves up a lot more in terms of trying to control what's going on in the game they're not chasing after things and it's not like the beginning of the season where all this rotation and they're trying to thrive amongst the chaos they're trying now to get a little bit more organization. Laparay's in there with Sumaru in the middle, trying to dictate what's going on across the pitch and looking to make the most of these like exciting attacking like forward players. Um, but they're still not quite there yet. They're still a work in progress because Halifax can bring this sort of chaos um, to op- opposing defenses. And while sometimes York were able to sit there and like be organized and deal with it. It was just it just got a little bit too much for them, and they lost a little bit of their positioning at times, um, which led to some of these uh, chances, which led to the two of these goals. Yeah, it, it, I mean Halifax have that sort of factor now, do they? Because of the way that they play, where they're so fluid in their attack, where they can overload in areas that you might not be expecting, or they might be able to pressure, like turn on their pressure at one moment and win the ball up high and and kind of turn the game on its head they they're not you know as predictable as maybe they have been in the in, in the past but it still felt like Halifax were a little slow to respond and and you know yeah that's how York sort of got their opener and it took that that goal against to kind of restart their engines and and go out and and, and play better and you would think after the first time that they equalized to be like okay they can build on this and go but in the second half, it almost felt the same, where it was York who started off better, and then it took a while for Halifax to respond until York scored, and then Halifax started playing better. And at the end, it was Halifax who almost could have won with the chance that they had at the death. Is this something that is going to be, for you, a bit of an issue with Halifax? Because we've seen this in the, in the beginning, at the very beginning as well. Like They start well, and then they kind of fade away, or they fade at the start, and then they end well. Is this consistency with this tactics from Patrice Geyser, do you think it's sustainable? Because we've seen, you know, in two back-to-back wins that it can achieve results. But Mm. is it sustainable across the entire season? It seems to take a lot out of his players, doesn't it? I think the way that they want to play, the amount of movement that's involved, like when they're not keeping the majority of possession at the moment, but when when they do get possession they rely so much on build up out of the back it's that they're not there and and they want to be quick with it as well it's not that they want to just sit and control possession in their own half slowly move into the second middle third they want to start breaking they want to move they players have to move continuously to open up passing lanes and i think that's what we're finding with halifax now that it's tough (laughs) you can't do this 90 minutes three times a week um and that's going to be a bit of an issue for them. Um, I think once they get back to like with less midweek games, maybe we'll see a little bit more of a um, a consistent approach from them. But there's there's so much work that goes into this system that it looks like it can be quite difficult at times, and it can be quite frustrating. I think for the for the forward players with that so much movement. If 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 teams like York this weekend, this week who I mean, they had plenty of they had plenty and plenty of attacks, but York were defending quite well through some of it, and they were getting frustrated. A few loose shots came in, and that's why it took them a little while to consistently come back and from goals um, from goals behind. Yeah, and I think well, maybe we we should go into the goals, and that way we can expand on it a bit more because I think the goals are quite telling on how it was for both teams. I mean, the first goal with Moba Bui, I don't know how Azaze de Rosario didn't put that away. I don't, <laughs> I, 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 at least on the replay, correct me if I'm wrong, it looked like he wanted to head it towards the net and it said it glanced off the wrong side of his head. Yeah, miss- it bounced down and then Babuli got it. But it again showed like Halifax, usually very good defensively. I mean, Daniel Nimick has been incredible, but. In that game, I felt like they were a little shaky, especially when balls were going into the box. And for you, what did you think about that goal? And then Coimbra's goal, Halifax, that is pure Halifax. I think Mm. that is Halifax at their tippy top best. Great little flare pass to start to get it going to Ian Daniels. Ian Daniels, what a cross. And Tiago Coimbra 
it it looks easy. It looks like a tapping, but for him to fly across and that volley hit it mm. right in the studs and put it into back of the net. I mean, it was it was all perfect technique across the board. It, does that show the two sides of Halifax? I, I think. Uh, I mean, I, for me, it does. But for you, does that show the yeah. kind of two sides of Halifax? Yeah, they're just not a hundred percent confident at the back, are they? They're still when the crosses come in and the ball comes in the box and there's runners. Um, if teams get numbers forward into that box, which York did in in, the, in that occasion where um, Babouli ended up finishing, like there's players, there's a lot of runners, and they're cu- not, and they're coming from deep as well. When you've got one sort of striker and you've got attacking midfielders running in, uh, Halifax weren't were they, they just weren't confident in dealing with it. I think and that's why they lost players, lost um, the, the players they were marking, and which ended up with the. Uh, with the goal and that's that's the difference because once you get forward they see when things flow they're so good they can like the movement daniels's movement to get on um onto that pass begins before the players receive the ball to pass it <laughs> and they know they've got this rhythm and they feel confident when they go forward and coimbra has been um a really good sort of poacher in the box for them as well as being that good target man i mean he's very good down the middle is very good in the penalty area as a sort of really a bit of a workhorse. Um, but when you're getting a quality pass from Aiden Daniels like that to finish, then you're gonna you're gonna be able to take your chances. But yeah, it does show the confidence levels at either end of the pitch, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, definitely. And at, speaking of confidence levels, the confidence from Kevin Dos Santos to take the shot from yeah. there and shoot it as he did with pace with curve mm. i you know jan Fillion, people have been saying that you know he he's good but he's had a couple of goals that he could have saved i don't think there was anything he could do about this one this no. was, was just a wonder st- strike in the purest sense and apparently york loved that so we saw sumaru's mm. wonder goal against Warge a few weeks back especially in the midweek apparently in the midweek is where they <laughs> turn on those goals because we saw another one today from kevin dos santos and it kind of breathed life into York mm. again and, and it got them going before Halifax sort of, again, felt like they woke up and they started playing better. Aiden Daniels, I mean, he's had such a resurgence this season uh, mm. under Patrice Geyser. He's probably been one of the players that I have seen grown the most compared to last season. Last season, people were saying that he was he was good. He had that potential, but he wasn't showing it. This season, he's I think he's showing every little bit of it. This was his sort of game. Even though Halifax had to come from behind twice, it was still his game. And that goal sort of exemplified, yes, it was a bit lucky with the deflection. Yeah. But still, you take the goals that come to you. You have to take the shots in the first place. And he was playing with such swagger, with such confidence. He was so sharp that it, it wasn't surprising that he got a goal for his troubles at the very end. For you, again, those two goals kind of exemplify a bit of the the teams for Halifax. Do you think that they're they have that movement in the front, like we said in the first goal? But sometimes they do rely on these moments of magic from players when they're starting to get a little frustrated because they can't play their usual way. Do you think that's something that's that they can rely on? I mean, they can't. You're, these players can't always show up, can they? I mean, maybe Aiden Daniels the can, and he'll. He'll prove us wrong week in and week out. But and then and for York, it, they had this opportunity, Kevin DeSantos. And then afterwards, they started to have a bit more chances, but then wasting chances and not getting them at, towards the end. Mm-hmm. Does that kind of show the situations at times that both of them kind of get into? Yeah, I think from the York side, I mean, that DeSantos goal, like, it was an incredible finish. But the, the one thing to like, remember is like he almost lost the ball when he received it didn't take a great touch and but he battled with um omar um omar in the middle and held him off and shrugged him off and got away from the ball and showed like real grit and determination to get on it before then showing incredible quality and i think that highlighted quite a bit of what we see from york of yeah i think like they're gonna work incredibly hard and they're like and if and when there are times when Halifax were getting on the ball and trying to do trying to do their thing and trying to sort of control the game, York have that ability to just go in and say it like and to just shrug people off and to say like no like and they they'll slow the game down a bit or they'll go and um, try and attack quickly if it's players like De Santos and finish really well um, and that 
on the other hand, seems to spark a bit from Halifax. They 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 can pass the ball around well. They can move the play. But if things aren't working and if they get a little bit lax in what they're doing, they get caught and it wakes them up again. And it's like, right, actually, no, we need to care. We need to pick up the pace of what we're doing. And um, from, I mean, Aidan Daniel was a great turn when he received that on the turns, like to um, then just sort of bear down on the um, defence, cut inside and uh, finish well uh, with that deflection. What's really exciting for players like um, him and uh, Massimo Ferrin as well is I think Patrice Geiser knows that they're going to drift out of games at times. I think maybe last season, if Aidan Daniels started to drift a little bit out of a game, whether it be for five or 10 minutes during a second half, he would have just been hooked and said, right, that's it. He's not, he's not in the game right now. Let's get someone else on. But now players like him, Patrice Geiser has got the the confidence in knowing like if he gets this chance, if we can get the ball to him in these areas, he's going to do something and he doesn't have to be involved in 90% of the game. As long as he's, if he only plays a few touches, if he doesn't get involved hugely, but gets those opportunities, something can come from it, which a lot of other players can't do. Yeah. And you usually expect that from, from players that are, I mean, they're usually called luxury players, aren't they? Mm. Those players that, you know, that may not always be in the game or may not always be the hardest workers, but they get the ball and they create chances. They they create mm. magic all by themselves. And Aiden Daniels, I guess, is, is sort of turning into that a little bit. I mean, he is a workhorse. He does work hard for yeah, the team. Does, I'm, not yeah. saying, I'm not saying that he's, he's, he's that kind of luxury player where he doesn't do that. But he is that kind of player where you might not see him all the time, but when you do see him, he makes sure that you're watching. He yeah. pulls out these fantastic crosses, passes, dribbles, shots to to kind of get you out of your seat a bit. And I think him turning into that player is going to do wonders for Halifax, who, again, they are without Joao Morelli. And now him coming back, seeing him play, you know, alongside maybe Coimbra and then having it in Daniels as well. Like Halifax could have a very, very decisive threatening exciting mm. front line once he returns as well but um for york there was one player that i know you wanted to mention who was a surprise feature i guess mm. in the starting lineup which was the goalkeeper himaras for you what did you think of his performance and does that sort of tell a bit of uh a bit of problems with the under 21 minutes for york right now yeah, I remember uh, listening, and I think the uh, one soccer um, commentator was mentioning they need to average 102 minutes a game now um, for the rest of the season due to the fact that they just haven't used any uh, U21 players. And I thought um, Amaris had a good game. Uh, I thought he came out well, commanded his box quite well on crosses, uh, made a few good saves, and I think mean, the deflection beat him for that equaliser late in the game. It's hard to put... Um, too much on him for that one uh and the coinbra goal yeah he's he's that's not his fault um i thought he had a decent game i'm sure we're now like this lack of use of u21 players over such a long i mean we say it's early in the season we're 11 games in and they bet they haven't really used young players and now this is going to affect uh giantopolis in goal like um, when you've got players that when you haven't got as many players who are ready to step up, but this goalkeeper seems to, um, I mean, he played a bit last, uh, last year. Uh, and now he's, now he's got the chance really to make it and to get a good run of games. Um, Wojciechowski went off after 10 minutes with an injury. So that's another player that they can't use. I'm not sure how long he'll be out for if it's just a short term thing or so is York have put themselves in a position where they're going to have to really consider the U21 minutes for every game rather than be able like to be a little bit more relaxed about it so yeah it'd be interesting to see how um well how how long he keeps his place in goal um and what other players might be able to step up yeah because that's the you can sort of see it in two ways where it's They've put themselves in this sticky situation. Now they have to sort of rely on the kids. Can they continue this great form that they've been on, uh, that they work so hard for, that they kind of gamble too early on, and now they're going to suffer for in the second <laughs> half? But you could also view it as this is a great opportunity. This is now a great platform for these young players to step up mm-hmm. and show their worth, show that, you know, York have better squad depth than most people maybe give them credit for. 
uh, and and have players pop up and make a name for themselves, make it so people take more notice of them and and continue to show that York, regardless of whatever is going on behind the scenes, is producing good players, is playing good football and deserves to continue to be a competitor in this league. But uh, for Halifax now, moving forward, it's uh, it's not a, a, a bad result by any chance. You would take a point, especially on the form that that uh, York are on right now. But, you know, they after two straight wins, having a draw, they're at home again against the team in the biggest slump, I would say, right now, Forge FC. How do you think that they're going to approach this one i mean they have some time they have uh, eight days before they play they're going to play on the 30th so they have time i think to rest the players are we going to see them go out and start well and keep it sustainable for 90 minutes or do you think that uh even though they have this break it's still going to be tough for them to to stay at this level it's going to be really interesting to find out, isn't it, whether this break's going to rejuvenate them or whether it's going to stop their rhythm because they they finally got those wins. Um, and it took so long to go, like to come across, and um, so it's going to be yeah, very very interesting to see um, how Patrice Geyser goes with this. But I think throughout this season, no matter what happens in the next few games, Halifax are always they're they're going to be. A bit of a Jekyll and Hyde team in some ways. Like they're they're going to attack. They're going to be quite dangerous if they if if they can create those goal scoring chances. Excellent for them. But the problem is they're going to still give up chances um, each week, and they they're going to have a year under Patrice guys where they're going to be adapting, getting used to each other. Like new, like you know, there's so many transfers like we mentioned earlier on and discussing Forge how 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 much of a turnaround Halifax have had. Uh, on the playing staff so it's going to take them a little while to get used to that as well but they seem to have they seem to be getting a little bit of a um, consistency with who's going to be the starters who's going to be these impact players and then we'll see how they progress throughout the rest of the season if they can become a playoff team and then push on next year yeah and it's going to be like you said it's going to be telling on on their ability to to adapt to different situations because Mm -hmm. I think Forge, they always say a wounded animal is the, the animal that's the most dangerous. And I think you never want to underestimate Forge, no matter what slump they're on. But you could have you could you could still sort of see it as like this is a great uh, way to continue our form that we're facing a team that is on uh, quite low right now. But again, it's a completely different beast than other teams before. It's it forge might throw caution to the wind and 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 change the formation again, change personnel mm-hmm. again. You don't really know what forge are facing these ga- these days because of that. So it'll be interesting to see how they adapt to it. But moving on to our third and final game, since there's only th- there was only three games in this match week, uh, we're going to arguably the most boring <laughs> of the three <laughs> matches, which was Pacific versus Valor that ended one nil, thankfully. Thought I was heading towards a nil, uh, nil, nil there, yeah. by a goal for Easton Ngaro in the 79th minute. Uh, this one was, I'll be honest, I had a lot of hope for it because obviously these two teams are 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 doing pretty well. I mean, Pacific are on top of life right now. Valor have shown glimpses of 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 playing well, and I mean they beat Forge, so you never know what they could do mm-hmm. against Pacific. But uh, yeah, for this one, I would say up until maybe the 60th minute, it was a bit of a snore fest. Mm. I think, uh, if I remember correctly, the first shot on target came in the 70th minute. Yeah, that about, is a bit. It? Yeah, that <laughs> is a bit telling about how much of a slog it is. Maybe we could paint it. It was a chess match. Maybe that's yeah. a better way to paint it. <laughs> so for you, Mike, what were your thoughts on this chess match of a game? Yeah, it was. Um... It was a very patient build-up from both. Uh, I mean, Valor got the first shot on target in the 70th minute, and that was their only one. Uh, and I think when you look back and you have a look at the league table, Valor have scored 10, conceded 10. I mean, that's the, lo- the joint lowest amount of goals scored and the second best defence in the league. So it wasn't like when you look back at it, they're not going to be in games that are high scoring um, by any uh, by any. Uh, interpretation of the word but they 
they kept the ball well again, um, like they did against um, Forge when they had the opportunity to get on the ball. And they actually came away with this one with um, the higher uh, possession with 56%. And what well, they've they changed things up slightly in the midfield. So Kean Williams wasn't given, um, wasn't, wasn't used at all. Um, and uh, Gutierrez come back from his suspension um, to fill that midfield. And it was like, we've said before, they're quite solid. They can, they can protect the defense quite well. They get on the ball and they, but they were relying on Ponce on one side and Azure on the other, who didn't have a particularly great game. Uh, Ponce managed to get opportunities away, but his shooting was wayward. Um, and that's just what you that's what Valor are at the moment, I feel, without a number ten. When they've got these three decent midfielders, like there's no there's no knocking them. Sanchez was brilliant again. Polisi had a great game. They but it's just getting into that final third. And when you've got Siaj or um, Novak as your striker, they need service. And those three aren't providing it. Ojoa didn't provide it particularly well, and Ponce was hit or miss uh, at times on the ball. Um so that's why they're going to struggle and specific. I, I I like how they used Adaluke as that right winger um, in possession. Uh, and they're playing with sort of three, four central midfielders, one winger and a striker. And it's like, it's, it, it sounds quite exciting, but since that Vancouver game, they're just, they're not creating dangerous chances regularly enough. And, as much as they've defensively got very, I mean, the keeping, I think that was their, uh, trying to think how many um, in a row now for, uh, so it's two two clean sheets in a row, isn't it, for um, Kieran Basket. But going for, uh, three, sorry, but going forward, they're only scoring a goal a game now after doing so well. I mean, three 1-0 wins on the bounce. Uh, and they've had to rely on the changes again to bring something out of this team. Yeah, because for me, looking at this game, like, I didn't think, first of all, I was going to be able to watch this game because I was supposed to be watching the White Gaps, but that never happened. <laughs> yeah. um, that took way too long for it to be called <laughs> off. It's, you know, not on topic, but Jesus. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I got to actually watch a full game for this one. I was like, oh, fantastic. I was super excited. And for me, it was tough. And I actually would want to ask you, I didn't know if this stalemate was more because of how well valor frustrated pacific which it did i do think they did yeah or was it more just pacific being poor and slow in their attack because i i i i, I agree with you on the that aluke thing that tactical shift i think they're becoming a bit too it's crazy to say but a bit too one-dimensional to, now mm -hmm. and i think teams are expecting it they know that luke is running down that right side and they kind of sort of accommodate it more and mm -hmm. if they do that it kind of frustrates pacific more and they then they struggle to to play around that especially because they have uh, four midfielders that we've seen that can be very attacking i mean Aparicio, Sean Young, even Yates has shown that they can pop up and score a goal or get an assist. But mm. still, this game, it felt like they weren't really clicking. They weren't showing the same class that they, they have shown before this season. And it wasn't until the subs that we started to see Pacific actually go past a walking pace and starting to go into, into their usual gear that we've seen before. Yeah, I think we saw, was it Yates and Lamoth came off uh, first and you're, you're sort of bringing on... Um more attacking player like and the more attacking player to go into um more of a 4-3-3 and to get play to get two wingers forwards um and they needed that because yeah i think they are quite one dimensional when if you're on the right hand side like when dada luke's getting high up the field he's going to be wide and i don't as much as aparicio young lamoff and yates have quality i don't think I don't think yesterday was their best games at all by any stretch of the imagination. They 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 weren't playing at their usual high level, but um, but you miss you miss that opportunity to have overlaps and underlaps on the wing. There, there, there is always going to be Dada Luke wide and someone else moving across from the midfield, and it yeah it it made it a little bit easier I think for Dante Campbell playing out of position again at <laughs> left back. He knows what's going to happen um, and. 
yeah, at times they can make it difficult with these central midfielders moving around the pitch, but they, they just didn't do it well enough. Um, I'm not sure um, what you think, but maybe missing Cedric Toussaint in the, um, where he was rested for this one and came on as a sub later on the game. When you've got him as that six bossing the midfield for so many, so many matches this season, there's that little bit of sort of a comfort behind you that you can be a little bit more expressive, maybe without him and these other players who are more, eights i guess if you, want to, if you want to pigeonhole them into more like specific roles um they don't have that one player who's going to sit and organize things behind them and maybe that had an effect in this one yeah actually that's a great point i didn't think of that that if you look at lamoth aparicio and young none of them are defensive midfielders they're all mm. more advanced midfielders they go further up the pitch and maybe there's a bit of hesitancy because maybe there was an established role of like okay i will be the one to sit back you guys go forward maybe they have the interchange and they're not really used to that that definitely i think might have uh played a part in it but you know for me it was a lot of it i think due to the fact that they need game changers against tough teams especially teams that like to be stubborn in their defense Mm -hmm. and they like to not necessarily like sit back. I don't think Valor sat back, but I think Valor were were very well organized, very well disciplined mm-hmm. in their lines. You need someone that can change the game. And I was surprised again. I mean, I understand it's a midweek game. You need to um, rest players. You need to rotate players. But I think Amon Salouf, you need that kind of player from the jump, I think. As much as a great super sub he is, and he was, he was the difference. He created two huge chances. Ungaro uh, came on and scored one, missed the other. But they need that kind of quality, I think, from the first minute, especially when you know that you're facing a team that, like you said, is one of the best defensive teams. You want to unlock that team early maybe the tactic was to wear them down across 70 minutes then bring on the exciting players to nip that one nil win at the end and maybe it went exactly as james merriman planned and i'm just waffling here but personally <laughs> uh i would like to see amon Salouf start because he's just i think for me he is my favorite player to watch right now i think he i literally stood up from my seat upon his introduction i think i was slouching on my couch <laughs> and i finally i was like oh i have awakened i i'm yeah. excited again <laughs> because of uh, how much i know uh he can bring to the game and just mm-hmm. he's so so fun and exciting to watch so maybe there's a little bit of bias there for me to just watch <laughs> yeah. um but going into into valor i mean we should talk about some of their players too because i think some of their players have really good performances uh, Diego Gutierrez, again, was a rock in that midfield. He was um, doing it really well, not just in defensive, but but kind of progressing the play forward. Valor struggled at times to, to, to have those attacks, but I think he was integral into that. And he still managed to do a very good defensive performance, as we always expect him to be. But mm-hmm. he's really asserting himself as like that leader for Valor, that that rock in the midfield. And I think that's a he's a huge asset for them. And even the wingbacks. I thought uh, Campbell continued to have a good game after last week where you mentioned he had a good game at left back. I think he had another great game yeah, there. I think Andy Bacero had such a solid game until Amon Salouf came on. And yeah. then I think he sort of started quaking in his boots a bit. He's like, oh, God, <laughs> no, I didn't think I'd be facing yeah. him. Um, but I think up until that point, he had a very, very solid game. And even uh, Juan Pablo Sanchez, I think he had a, a a good game for for his standards he mm. he's a bit more exciting player he's the one that will kind of take players on and and try to create things didn't have too much success but again you're away from home against specific the league leaders you're not going to have free reign mm. over the yeah. entire midfield but i think he had some good flashes for you was there anybody else or if you want to comment on some of the players i just said who impressed you in this match for valor yeah, I mean, I agree with you. The the central midfield is really good, really impressive from Valor, like in in a lot of the play, except for getting those final balls into the final third. Um, but otherwise, they're they're a really high quality um midfield in this league, I think. I think a lot of teams will be will will look at all those those three players and think, yeah, I wouldn't mind one or two of those in my team. Um I, I think it's great that they've now got Samake and Pianelli playing together now. Um, little run together has really helped that 
um defense be even more stubborn um i mean yes he's kept the most clean sheets he's been fantastic in goal um but i think having those two ahead of him has now made it slightly easier on him he's not having to make quite as many saves um, per game um but still stepping up when he needed to i mean sean young had a good good strike from the edge um just outside the box and with the sun in his eyes yes was um was a match to it um so they've got they've got quality there it's just they they I think it's really difficult to drop one of those three central midfielders to get someone more attacking in to try and take a game to someone. And I think that's the biggest um, the biggest question Phil de Santos has is, do I tweak this a little bit to try and get more goals or do I rely on the safety that these three provide me? Yeah, that is a very tough ask there because you're right. <laughs> I mean, between Polisi, Gutierrez, and Juan Pablo Sanchez, I don't think I would draw up any of them, but yeah. it's that give and take. They're one of the best events in the league, and they're one of the mm. lowest scoring teams. So it, it, how much do you really want to tweak before? Like, you could turn into a bit of a how Vancouver were, where they finally started scoring a lot of goals, but then started to concede yeah. a lot of goals. <laughs> and so you don't want to mess up the equilibrium of the mm. team too much. So it is, it is going to be interesting how... He moves forward if he wants to tweak anything without getting too drastic. Mm. But moving forward, I mean, for Pacific, they have now uh, a game in hand over York, and they are now seven points ahead of them. Uh, they yeah. are on 24 points. York are on 17. They, If they get that uh, game in hand win, they could be 10 points ahead of York United. And we're not even at the halfway point of the season. Mm. This is a bit, uh, you know, unprecedented before to have such early dominance from a team like Pacific uh, or a team really at all in, in the CPL, I think, since the early days. But uh, this another, they grind out another win like this. We've talked about maybe they're becoming one dimensional. Would you like to see a, 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 either a change in tactic, but maybe more consistency in the players? Or are you happy with the way that James Merriman is rotating these players because they have such depth and just want to see them maybe try to be more attacking as a team rather than rely on how which individuals are, are in the lineup? Yeah, it's really interesting um, because he's got, like, he, he playing in, like, a sort of 4-2-3-1, he's able to use this wonderful selection of attacking players and you've got Salouf, Adonijah Reed on the bench coming on, Josh Hurd starting, Gennaro Daniels is there you've got Easton Ngaro coming on, you've got quality all across there and when you're playing with sort of four attacking players, we haven't even mentioned Kakuta Mane, we don't know when the where, what his situation is at the moment, is he like he's regularly on the bench but he's never coming on um, but with the way he's playing, he's giving these central midfielders the chance so he's having to rest attacking players i'll be interested to see if after this little break and these excellent like one their wins yeah not the most exciting for the fans watching but they're continually progressing and regressing and will likely if they are continuing any this form uh in any shape or form they're going to get a wave of top spot ccc um football next season um but teams are going to prepare for this and I'll be interested to see if he does go back to more of a 4-2-3-1 with this break um, to to then maybe rest some of these central midfielders and change the way he's rotating them to bring in some of the more attacking players and start taking the game to the opposition. Because I think they're, they're not dominating the possession like they used to uh, in the early parts of the season. Um, and I think at some point Pacific need to do that again so that they don't get caught and start the having to change things quickly because by reacting they need to sort of prepare rather than react yeah and i think that this break in a similar sense to to halifax will give them a chance to rejuvenate and it will i i, I personally think it will give a reason to then start some of the more exciting attacking players since they have that break you know they have the legs in them now and then take it from the first minute you know take the team on try to go and blow out that team because pacific have that quality obviously it's not as easy to blow out teams anymore unless you were 
Vancouver FC earlier in the season, but still they have enough quality to go and get two, three goals per match. And the fact they haven't really been doing that is being, I mean, they're still grinding out wins. And as a fan, mm-hmm. I don't think you can really ask for anything else, but as mm-hmm. a neutral and as somebody who wants to see the league get more exciting and get more attention, you want these top teams to play top style of football. And, mm-hmm. you know, I don't want to blow up every match, but, you know, make it exciting. So that's uh Play, more people want to watch Pacific play and more, more people want to watch the league. But for Valor moving forward, they don't have a break. They play this weekend again. They face Vancouver FC on the Sunday. Vancouver coming off of their first home win. They're going to be buzzing. Do you think Valor are going to change things up for this one? We've mentioned that just now that, you know, the midfield is great defensively, offensively. Maybe it's lacking a little bit against a Vancouver FC side who, yes, they just won a home game and they've shown that they can be um, defensively sound again. But still, recent history has shown that you can take the game to Vancouver and they might crumble. If you were Phil DeSantos, would you take the risk and go a little bit more attacking to ensure that you get that win and get yourself back on track? Or would you stick to your roots and just hope that the the regular eleven would see out this game, regardless of who's in front of them? I think he'll be a little bit more offensive. My my like, and Kean Williams will come on come into this game. I think he was rested for this one. Um, he got because they they don't rotate particularly much, like particularly throughout the season, like unless forced upon them. Keane Williams has played a lot of football. Maybe thought, okay, let's rest him in this one with eyes on the Vancouver game. The biggest question now, though, is because of the way those sides play, does he does he bring Keane Williams on in the midfield and sacrifice the midfielder, or is Adam Schumacher um, would be the one to um, make way if he wants to bring him on into a wide role? Personally, like, I mean, <laughs> I, I've not made my uh, feelings uh, hidden at all of the fact that I'd like to see him in that 4-2-3-1 and just have to bite the bullet and make that big decision on which central midfielder gets rotated, which we see other team managers do. I mean, Pacific FC in this one, like, Ayman Salouf's on the bench, Easton Ongaro's on the bench, James Merriman's not scared to make these decisions if he thinks that they're going to get results and... I think that's what Valor need to do with things getting so congested in that in the middle of that uh, in of the group in the in the league. They need to start trying to make themselves a little bit more dangerous and teams to be a little bit more concerned about them in a in a in a, an offensive manner. Yeah, because uh, they have uh, a couple of games coming up that are. I mean, the Vancouver one is definitely I think a winnable one. It's a little bit dangerous because they are on a good bounce right now. Then they have Cavalry, who have had their own consistency issues. And Mm. they're both home games. They have back-to-back home games to kind of assert themselves as, you know, we're not not in the back of the pack. We can keep up with the likes of York United and Forge now, which I did not think I would be able to say at the beginning (laughs) of the season. Um, So I do think that it's necessary for them to kind of not gamble too much, but kind of, yeah, like you said, bite the bullet, rotate a midfielder and have somebody... Uh, a winger come in, Keon Williams is at ten, and be more attacking because, I mean, you got you have to do it at some point. You can't just rely on being steady Freddy throughout the whole season because that's not how you how you you can secure wins all the time, especially, you know, at home or away from home. You gotta you gotta risk it. That's a that's how you you know get those wins, and b that's how you become more exciting and a more attractive team. And Lord knows Valor needs that right now. Um, but uh, yeah, that is it for our midweek matchup roundup. Um, thank you so much for listening again to this week's uh, episode. Uh, we will probably have another one next week for this weekend. So you're going to be hearing from a lot of us uh, in the coming days. Um, but make sure to follow us once again on Twitter. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. I totally forgot. You're right. Sorry. Um I totally forgot player of the week there. Uh, Mike <laughs> just managed to let me know there. <laughs> Completely forgot. I thought we were all done. Uh, so player of the week. <laughs> uh, we'll get into it here. Uh, I'll start with you, uh, Mike. For you, who was your player of this match week with two very exciting games and one not super exciting game? I can tell you probably which game you're not going to choose from. Uh, yeah, no, we're going Vaden Daniels just for the 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 incredible play he can bring into games and the quality he adds uh, really gets people off the edge of their seats and did that with an assist and a goal this week. 
yeah, he was quality. He was one player again in Halifax that I thought was a mm. game changer and it's great to have him there. But like I said, they can't always rely on him, but you, when you have him, you got to use him. And when he does things like that, you can't complain. You're just happy to have him there. <laughs> and for me, it's another game changer for my player of the week. Amon Salouf, even though he only came on for the last half an hour of the, of the, or 20 minutes of the half, he was the game changer. He created two big chances for Easton Ungaro. Mm-hmm. He, uh, Ungaro scored the first one, should have scored the second one. But when you have him on the pitch, the way that he just takes players on 1v1, the way that he can just bypass players, it's it's so thrilling to watch. He's such a danger, and he's that X factor in Pacific because even though you know he always wants to cut inside, somehow he still leaves <laughs> <does> players' <laughs> legs in pretzels. He still gets by them. It's incredible mm-hmm. to watch, and to have a player of his quality in the league is is an asset, not just for Pacific, but for the popularity and the growth of the league in general, yeah. even if he isn't Canadian. <laughs> the, the league still needs that. So, yeah, for me, he was player of the week. Um, now, now I can do the proper <laughs> outro. Now I can do the proper outro. Thank you again for listening to this episode. Apologies for the mixed up uh, ending there. Uh, make sure to follow us on Twitter at Coast to Coast FC and Instagram at Coast to Coast FC, so you know exactly uh, when we upload. And you can leave us your thoughts, your opinions, your comments. If there's anybody you would like for us to talk to, whether it be coach, player, or analyst, we would love to hear from you and uh follow us on our personal twitters at felipe v underscore fc and for mike at mike rice 1983 uh, and tweet us what you think of the show we always want to hear more positive or critical feedback not negative feedback critical feedback we appreciate um but until next time i'm felipe Ojejo. and i'm mike rice and this has been coast to coast fc signing out <laughs>